Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's dive into part seven of Indestructible Joy. Everybody say Indestructible Joy. Aren't you glad for it? Aren't you glad that it's uh, available to you in Christ? Aren't you glad that it's not just pie in the sky, but it's a reality you can live within? Um, Had no idea beginning this series that it would become such an incredibly personal thing to my own self, you know? Okay, Lord, you're teaching me right as we teach together in the congregation here about how important it is to hold on and not let go and have that indestructible joy regardless of what comes our way. We've kind of defined it like this. Indestructible joy means having a joy that no matter what happens in your life, you can continue to trust and praise God, knowing that God in no circumstance has the final word over your life. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, this morning, one of the things we've been doing along the way, just kind of a little cheesy and corny, I know, but... You know, I'm a dad, and I love some dad jokes. By the way, do you, do you know when a joke becomes a dad joke? Do you know when a joke becomes a dad joke? When it becomes a parent. Anyway. <laughs> so and let me ask you this question. Those of you who've been around church for a little while, maybe you'll know the answer to this. Why is it that at the end of all those wonderful songs that we sing at, ch- at church that we say amen and not a woman because they're hymns, not hers. I mean, come on. It's pretty obvious, right? I mean, you should know that by now. This is just good church stuff, right? So, by the way, did you hear about the guy who froze to death at the drive-in? It's getting cold, isn't it? It's starting to get cold, and it's kind of, you know, the trees are changing out there. It's so beautiful. But did you hear about the guy that froze to death at the drive-in? He went to see Closed for the Winter, and, uh, but anyway, um, uh, moving along, that one didn't go so well. You know, I, I searched for a lighter on Amazon, but all I could find were 6,000 matches. I wasn't sure what to do. Sold our vacuum cleaner. I mean, it was just gathering dust. So, by the way, this is, this is an oldie but a goldie, and, or you're gonna, we're going to see who gets this one. How do you tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? I mean, you'll see one later and one in a while. So think of that. Think of that. If you don't get that, ask somebody older. They'll tell you what that means, okay? Indestructible joy. Here's our passage today. Last week, we talked about the Apostle Paul's famous, powerful saying that really was the mandate over his life for me to live as Christ. And we ask you to fill in that blank and think about your own life. And, and many of us, I think, we're just convicted by that, that present reality that maybe for some of us, we need to be more fully surrendered to Jesus. Today, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Here we go. Let's dive in. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, 
and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it's been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for your unchanging, infallible word. You're living your active word. Lord, speak to us this morning. We're not here to hear from a man. We're here to hear from you, from your holy word. May it speak to our hearts. May it challenge us and transform us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. First thing we want to talk about this morning is just this simple fact that Paul says, let your, let your conduct be worthy. Worthy conduct. Worthy conduct. Philippians 1.27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. In Greek, uh, to be worthy of the gospel, your conduct to be worthy means you're to behave as a citizen, to behave as a citizen. Literally, this is the, if, you, if you take apart the Greek there, to behave as a citizen, a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. But what kind of citizen? A citizen of what? Philippians 3 answers that for us by telling us this, for our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, Paul's saying, live your life on earth as a faithful citizen of heaven. When you and I pray those powerful words that Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it means in and through our lives on earth as citizens of heaven, we are to bring heaven to earth. We're to bring the realities, the blessings, the goodness, the power, the life, the love, the compassion of heaven down to this earth. We're to be citizens of heaven, and we're to bring heaven to earth. We're to be, by the way, the primary agent that God uses to bring his will from heaven to earth. Have you thought about that? You're the primary agent that God wants to use to bring his will, his plan, his purpose, his desire to this earth. God wants to change things here on this earth through us. So Paul, he's a master of words, right? God's speaking through him as he's writing these epistles. And he tells us we're to be citizens of heaven, but he also tells us over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're to be ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, now then, we're ambassadors for Christ. And as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're an ambassador for Christ. That's a huge title. That's a huge entrusting from God himself to you. An ambassador is someone who acts in someone's stead on someone else's behalf. We're citizens of heaven here on this earth, acting as ambassadors for Jesus himself, pleading with the world to be reconciled to God. We speak in Jesus' stead. 
Come to Jesus. Come to know him. Experience his incredible love for you. And by the way, let me just say, I think there's, there's no better time. The church in America needs a wake-up call. The church in America needs to begin to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in reality, not just in rhetoric. Amen? We need, the, we need to see the bridegroom of Christ polished up and readied for the return of the groom. We need to be the church. We need to live according to the gospel. We're called not just to be citizens and ambassadors. In 1 Peter 2.9, we're also called to be, look at this, look at what Peter says. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a chosen generation. Did you know that? Here right now, placed by God at this time, in this place, for his glory. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever wrestle with that, God? Why was I born now? Why was I born here? As I, as I have had the privilege of traveling the world, I, I, oftentimes I think to myself, wow, how different the life would have been if I'd been born in Tanzania. How different life would have been if I'd been born in Nicaragua. For whatever reason, God chose for you to be born here. Some of you may have been born other places, but the majority of us would have been born here in the United States. What's that about? What's God's purpose behind that? Why did you and I somehow in, in, in the God lottery get to be born in the most, the most affluent nation of the world? Do you think there might be something to that? Do you think somehow God might want to use that for his glory? David, it, the Bible says that David served God in his generation and then he died. I want that to be said about me. Jeff Lamont served God in his generation, and then he was no more. Do you want that to be said about you? That you you really laid down your life, that you really gave your all, that you were all in for this generation. Listen, this is is such, I, I, I can't think of a more exciting time to be born in a more exciting place to be than here now in this day and time. I think we're going to see some things that are going to absolutely blow our minds. I think we may be on the brink of some things that could have huge, huge implications. How many of you have been praying for Israel, praying for the war, praying for what's happening? Lord, we pray into that in Jesus' name. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray you'd intervene in this situation. You'd release hostages. You'd bring about justice in Jesus' name. Some people are asking, is this end time stuff, Pastor Jeff? Is this prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes? It either is prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes or it's a precursor to prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes. It's one or the other. But here's what I do know. You and I are not destined to wrath. That's what the Bible says. You and I are not destined to wrath. God's going to come and he's going to take away his people. We're going to see him face to face. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. Lord, come quickly. 
What a glorious and wonderful day, and his reward is going to be with him. And listen, if you're a young person and that scares you a little bit, I understand. It did me too. And you may end up living out all of your days, and who knows exactly what God's timing is. I do know this. We are closer than ever. We are closer than ever. And here's what Jesus did. He, he left us with a gift, right? And, and it's easy not to see it as a gift, but he left us with that sense of urgency to always be on the watch for his return because that anchors us to live meaningful lives, not just to squander this gift of the present that we have. We're a royal priesthood. No wonder things change when you walk into a situation. You're a royal priesthood before God himself. You're a holy nation called and separated out from this world to live a life holy unto the Lord. You're his own special people. You got to love that. And why? So that we can proclaim his praises. You and I are destined to be called to be, have the privilege to be praising priests before God himself. He's called us out of the darkness into light. We are children of the light. As faithful citizens of heaven, we're ambassadors. We're a chosen generation. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's special people. We're to proclaim his praises for calling us out of darkness and into his, his marvelous light. So be a faithful citizen. Be a pleading ambassador and be a praising priest before the Lord always. Amen, church? And then he calls us to stand fast in one spirit. Philippians 1.27, that you stand fast in one spirit. What a word for the church today. What a word for each and every one of us to stand fast. Let me just, let me just illustrate it this way. Stand fast. And can I just say, and, I, and I'll illustrate this a, a little bit more here in just a minute, but there's winds blowing in our culture right now that would love to get you to rock and sway and, and if possible, get you to move off of your place of standing fast in Christ. I've never seen a day or a time like the day and time we're living in. I just heard this past week that the average young person in our nation today is being exposed to pornography at the tender age of 11. Uh, Can you even imagine what that does to a young person's brain? Can you even imagine how that um, soils the spirit of a tender, innocent child? How did we get here? How did this happen on our watch? We've got so many things happening in our culture right now that that are concerning. And I'm just telling you, the pressures, the the winds, (laughs) the waves are going to try to get you to move off of your spot of standing firm before the Lord. But you're called to stand fast. How many of you hear what I'm saying? How many of you understand what I'm saying? He's saying to be stationary, unwavering, immovable, immovable, 
in your faith. Why? Because everything around us is trying to pull us off center. Dig your feet in, folks. We're in for a ride. A lot of us thought it would never happen, but it is. The tide has turned and the atmosphere has changed. At one point, being a Christian in the United States of America was like living on easy street. Not so much anymore, and it won't probably get any easier in the days ahead. But stand fast. Landon, it's part of what I just had for you this morning. As you stand fast, young man, let me tell you, there's going to be others attracted to you, brought to you, and you're going to have a voice into their lives because you're a man who's chosen to stand fast in his generation. Listen, when you dig your feet in and you stand fast, you're basically saying, my faith is not negotiable. There's lots of people losing their footing. Lots of people losing their footing. But you and I are called to be unshakable in Jesus. With our feet dug in on a firm foundation, the rock that cannot and will not be moved. What is that firm foundation? It's it's God's word. It's God's word. Let me just tell you, you have to be feeding on the manna of heaven on a daily basis if you're going to stand firm and be faithful in the days ahead. Here's Paul's warning in the book of Ephesians 4.14 that you and I should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Listen, church, if you don't think there's an intentional intentional agenda to deceive believers, a foot today in our culture that's that's all about trying to get people to, to lose their faith. We have this wonderful term, right? It's 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 uh, you know, people are are uh, deconstructing. If you don't think there's an intentional agenda to deceive believers and cause them to lose their faith, you're reading a different Bible than I am. God's word is really clear and explicit about this. And again, because we've lived in a place of ease, we haven't thought about this a lot. But there's an enemy that's at work all around us. So don't, don't be children anymore. Let's move beyond the child phase into, the, into adulthood, spiritual adulthood. Let's make sure we're not being carried about with every wind of doctrine. Let's watch out for the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting of the enemy. Don't be immature children tossed around by every doctrine that blows into the church. Paul says this also, in the last days people will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, promoting doctrines of devils. Stand fast in the ancient, historic, orthodox, essential doctrines of the Christian faith. They are timeless. They are true. They are tested. Stand firm in them, church. Amen, Pastor Jeff. That was pretty good right there. I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) 
Acts chapter 20, Paul's giving his departure speech speech to the elders of the church of Ephesus, and he says these words, and see now, go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, saying these chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Chains and tribulations await, and he knows it. The Holy Spirit has shown him. But none of these things move me. Can you say that with me this morning? That regardless of what lies ahead, regardless of the price, regardless of the cost of what it is costing you or I to follow Jesus in this rapidly changing world around us, none of those things will move me because my feet are set on the immovable rock of Jesus Christ. Don't let persecution, don't let false doctrine, don't let tribulation move you. Stand fast in the faith. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory, who gives us the victory. We're fighting from victory, not just for victory. Thanks be to God. The victory came from God. Jesus purchased the victory for you and I through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of that victory he's purchased, be steadfast, immovable. There it is again, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Every time you see that word, therefore, right? You want to ask, what's it there for? Well, the victory has assured that you and I can stand fast. And we can always abound in the work of the Lord. And then he says, with one mind striving together. Philippians 1.27. I love this, and I love the picture of it, right? With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This word striving together, by the way, another interesting Greek word. When you look at the word picture there in the text, it's interesting. It's a, it's a Greek word um, uh, relating to athletics in that day and time. And one of the primary athletic contests of that day and time of of Paul's time was wrestling. It literally, it's a wrestling term. It's referring to a team, if you will, of wrestlers. I remember when some of the some of the families here in the church had some young people that were on a wrestling team, and I went a few times and watched the wrestling matches, and, you know, one guy would get up, and then the next team member would get up, and then the next team member, and they were all cheering each other on, and they were all fighting as hard as they could for victory in the, in the ring. And it's one thing to personally stand, right, to stand fast. It's another thing, and it's an absolute thing God's called us to, and that is to wrestle together to work together, to to put our strength, if you will, together toward what God has called us to. And I would ask you this morning, what team are you on? Who are you wrestling with? 
Notice I didn't say, who are you wrestling against? I said, who are you wrestling with? Who is it that you are, that you are putting your strength together with and saying, we're going to overcome, we're going to work together, we're going to believe together, we're going to stand together? What team are you on striving together, wrestling together for the furtherance of the gospel? By the way, I think this is a good family of faith to be on this wrestling team. I look around and I'm just blessed and overwhelmed by the faithful men and women of God here at New Song. There's so many times I just don't even feel worthy to be your pastor. I mean, there's some amazing people here who have really lived it out. So many of you are an inspiration to me. And it's humbling to be your pastor. It's humbling to get to wrestle along with you, to commit to the Lord, to stand together, regardless of the day or the time we live in. The vision and definition of our roles as servants of Jesus, we're to be faithful citizens of heaven, pleading ambassadors for Christ, praising royal priests, immovable followers, and team wrestlers. Can you say amen to that, church? Let me just tell you a little bit of what I mean by wrestling with. You know, I I love our life group. We wrestle in that life group a lot over, over our kids' destinies. We've, we've cried a lot of tears in that life group, Don, over our kids. We're wrestling together, man. We're on the team together. I keep crying out and praying for situations that are near and dear to your heart, and I know you do for mine too. We're wrestling together. We're going to see the victory together too, my friend. So how do we apply all these characteristics? Are you noticing a theme here with Paul? Paul doesn't use a lot of passive language. Have you noticed that? Paul uses some pretty aggressive language, strong language. How do we apply these things? I As I was saying a bit ago, I I think the church in America needs to start applying the aggressive characteristics used in Scripture to define our lives, like wrestling. We need to step up and start being the church. There's there's something about, and I I don't quite understand it, but I, I believe God wants to do something glorious and new through his body in these days. I believe there's a shaking off of the old and there is a a taking on of the new, the new anointing, the new calling, really living out, really becoming true disciples of Jesus in this day. Jude chapter one, listen to how the author Jude puts it. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting, that's a strong word, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend earnestly. That word, that Greek word literally means to agonize, agonize for others. Following Jesus, folks, in this day and time, and quite honestly, it it has never been for sissies. 
Following Jesus is going to cost you something, folks. Listen, this whole idea that somehow many of us have adopted that Jesus is our divine butler just waiting, you know, to serve us at any time and our beck and call to come, you know, and bring us on a silver platter every need we have, that's the wrong picture we have. He's not your divine butler waiting to give you your every desire. He is the magnificent, glorious Lord of the universe. One day when you see him, you're not going to go up to him and ask some silly, inane question like, Lord, why did you create mosquitoes? I can't wait to get to heaven so I can just ask the Lord why he created mosquitoes. Sometimes we say the silliest things. You know what will happen when you see Jesus? You're going to fall at his feet like a dead man or a dead woman. You're going to be absolutely stricken by his glory and his majesty to the place that you will just fall before him in worship. Now, maybe a thousand years later, maybe you'll get up and dust yourself off and go, Lord, I got a couple of questions. Why in the world do you make those pesky mosquitoes? But it sure won't be the first thing you do. How many of you are hearing me? John, who laid his head on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper, when he saw him in his glorified state, fell as a dead man before his feet. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, look at these words that Paul writes, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Look at the language. These aren't passive words. Lay hold, seize, grip. The church in America has been on easy street for so long. It's time to wake up and be the bride. Striving, wrestling, contending, agonizing, fighting, seizing, gripping. This is kingdom stuff. Where do we get the church and following Jesus is just about being nice? There's a lot more to it. It's about laying our lives down and letting Jesus truly shine through us to the world around us. Amen? It's about all these things, striving together to walk in unity, to present to the world a unified front that the world might look and go, man, look at the love they have for one another and see Jesus through that love. It's about wrestling together in prayer. It's about contending for one another's needs, being there for one another, serving and loving and helping one another. It's about agonizing together over God's will coming into the midst of this sin-stained earth. It's about fighting the good fight of faith, seizing hold of God's word, gripping on to what God has for us. It's kingdom stuff. This isn't for sissies. This is for people who've surrendered and said, Jesus, you're our master. Now lead us forth into battle. And get this. Don't be terrified by the adversaries around you. Philippians 1.28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Can I just say this to you? Paul, Paul absolutely knew if he lived his life for Jesus, he was going to have adversaries. There was not, a, there was not a, a doubt in his mind that if he lived full throttle and did what God had called him to do, there were going to be those around him who would oppose him. 
but he tells us not to be terrified by adversaries. And to them, the proof of perdition, and to you, the proof of salvation. It's just a foregone conclusion in Paul's mind that if you're a faithful citizen of heaven, you're going to have adversaries on earth. It never crossed Paul's mind that living this life on this earth fully for Jesus would just be smooth sailing. He knew there'd be adversaries and there'd be difficulties. He knew there'd be people that he would come in contact with who would hate God, hate his truth, hate his people. Maybe you had this experience along the way. The brighter your light has shined, the more those, the, the people in darkness around you have, have, have found that offensive at times. Your faith confronts their doubt, confronts their hatred. And sometimes that's, an, that's a, a difficult collision, if you will. He says, don't be terrified of your adversaries. Don't be concerned about what they say about you, what they do to you, what they threaten you with. Quit worrying about what people say about your commitment to Jesus, what opportunities that commitment might cost you, what fears the devil tries to move with against you, and live, live your life as a fearless citizen of heaven on this earth. When you live as a fearless citizen of heaven, it's a proof of your salvation and those around you, their perdition. The greatest thing, by the way, to fear is not someone killing you. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know what that says to us so clearly, church? There is something so much more to fear, something so much more important than just our temporal condition. We're we're so accustomed to just wanting to make life comfortable in the present moment in every way possible. We want comfort. We want security. We want all these things. And Jesus is saying, man, Live in such a way that you understand and you know there's something much more important than just your temporal, present condition. And then he says, here's something to fear. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Again, some of us have just sold out to this thing that we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. We don't want to create any waves. We don't want to say anything that might be offensive to the place that we don't shine our light anymore. How many of you hear what I'm saying there? I, there's a balance, of course. There's a balance. But the pendulum is swung in such a way, right, that it's almost like the church has gone silent. And I love the old St. Francis of Assisi quote, preach the gospel at all times and if you must use words because I think we absolutely need to be living lives that are demonstrating the transformation through our good works. But you've got to use words to preach the gospel. People aren't just going to look at your good works and fall down and go, oh, I want to glorify God because of that good work you just did. No, they need to hear the truth. And they need to hear it in clarity. And you and I need to be bold to speak it. 
as those who walk in conduct worthy of the gospel, we need to ask the Lord to make us fearless in Christ. Living as a faithful citizen of heaven requires us to live as fearless citizens of earth. I want to read you something. I, I have been really enjoying biographies lately, and I just took this picture last night from the book I'm reading. The, I just finished David Livingston, and now I'm on Adoniram Judson. Anybody know who Adoniram Judson is? He's the first missionary sent out from America. In the early 1800s, he went with his wife to Burma and gave his life for the gospel. Now, here's, I want to read this to you. He's writing, he's just met this young lady, Anne, Anne Hasseltine, and he's, he's quite taken with her. And he's asking for the privilege of, uh, uh, of acquaintance. I think that's what they called it in that day and time. In other words, he's asking to date her and consider marrying her. And he's writing a letter to her mom and dad who are faithful deacons in the church in that, in that area. And he thinks to himself, he knows he's called of God to go to Burma and lay his life down for Christ. So he doesn't want to, to, he doesn't want to water down anything. But this is, this is him asking for her hand in marriage, asking her father for her hand in marriage. Listen to what Adoniram writes. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of Burma, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died here, uh, died, uh, let's see, and died for her, and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion, and for the glory of God. Imagine getting that letter, asking for your daughter's hand. We've gotten pretty easy, pretty, uh, we've gotten pretty cushy, guys. Lastly, the fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For to you it's been granted. Get this wording. For to you it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear in me. You're granted to suffer for his sake. We, we don't often think of suffering as a favor granted by God. We tend to think of it as an undeserved punishment. But the Bible teaches otherwise. Matthew chapter 5, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Ephesians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Let me leave you with one last scripture as we close out today. We're to be, we're to, enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that we might be shaped into the image of Jesus. Remember this when you're suffering, Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. How do we know if you're an heir with God and a joint heir with Christ? if indeed you're willing to suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For, can I, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen, church? Faithful suffering produces reward. It produces being conformed into the image of Christ, and it brings glory to God, and that is what indestructible joy is all about, that you can't lose it because it's secure in Christ if you're securely holding on to him. And let me just say as we close, it's gonna be all worth it. I guarantee it, it's gonna all be worth it. So may this be our confession today. Would you stand with me as I read this? And I'm gonna read it once and then I'm gonna have you read it with me. May this be our confession today. I am determined to live as a faithful citizen of heaven, a pleading ambassador, a royal priest, an immovable believer, a team wrestler, a fearless witness, and a rejoicing sufferer. Would you read it together with me? Are you ready? I am determined to live as a faithful citizen of heaven, a pleading ambassador, a royal priest, an immovable believer, a team wrestler, a fearless witness, and a rejoicing sufferer. Can you give God praise this morning for his goodness? Man, he is worthy. Lord, go with us now. Let your, your face shine upon us and your light shine through us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.